Creative Recovery is a community of artists, healers, activists, entrepreneurs, and anyone seeking to nourish a creative relationship to life. In this podcast, we explore creativity as an agent of healing and social change. I'm your host, Brenna, a writer, editor, and coach. Join me as I step into conversation with people of diverse backgrounds and identities committed to creative living. Are you feeling stuck, unfulfilled, or uninspired? Creative Recovery offers tools and practices to help you cultivate your authentic voice and support your mind, body, and spirit in service of creative aspirations. Whether you want to write a book, start a business, or cultivate more curiosity and compassion, the process of creative recovery will help anyone tap into their inner resources and live a life of presence and joy. Welcome to Creative Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Brenna, and I'm really excited to welcome my guest today, Alicia Free. Alicia is a badass belly dancer, musician, and podcast producer. She also happens to be a very good friend of mine. She wants us to shake off the heavy and dance, to feel lighter. Alicia uses movement, live music, and simple costuming as her favorite creative endeavors. So welcome, Alicia. Thank you so much, Brenna. Thank you for having me. I love your podcast. and It's delightful to actually be on it and share myself with your audience. Well, and it's really fun to have a conversation with a fellow podcast producer. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, So yeah, how about if we just start by having you tell us about yourself and your creative pursuits? Sure. So movement is my go-to medium for creativity. And it's you know, it's free of language. I love different languages, but they're restrictive, right? It's, it's universal to move and we move all day long, right? We move in our sleep. So why not make our movements beautiful? Or if we don't want them to be beautiful, let's make them expressive, right? Why not magnify our joy and move through our sorrow by moving through movement? So I started belly dancing way back. That was really my entryway into, uh, to dancing and taking it more seriously. I didn't think I was ever going to be a dancer when I was in high school, for example. I do remember when I was 16 and I went to Mexico with my parents and there were congas playing in this nightclub and I was just drawn to them and I started moving and I didn't care what I looked like. And I should have realized that that was kind of a sign that I was destined to dance, but I I didn't realize it until I took belly dance as a class at uh, Cornell when I was a student. And that was the year 2000. So over 20 years ago, I was a sophomore and I sprained my ankle five times because I thought I was a runner, but really I was beating myself up with that. And uh, there was this band in town too. It's really always had a live music element to it. My fascination with dance. There was this band in town called Gage, which means not gypsy or not Ram. And uh, at that time it had three belly dancers and I couldn't get enough of their shows. One my teacher was one of the dancers in the band. And I had never even seen a band with dancers in it. So I joined the troupe that the teacher was teaching and I started making costumes. And I was born on Halloween and I've always been into costumes, but pairing the costumes with the dance and the movement was really powerful for me. And then I one of my friends in a belly dance class was like, You gotta go to this medieval festival. And I'm like, I don't play Dungeons and Dragons like I used to, but I wasn't really into it then. And that was before cosplay and all that stuff was a thing. But uh, she was like, no, really, if you go to this festival, you will see that dancers are worshipped. Oh, I I could get that. I could be happy with that. People be buying me presents, you know, whatever. 
So, uh, so yeah, I started going to this medieval festival and they were teaching dance all day and they were teaching drumming. And I was there with the fire with live drums and with other dancers who were also learning or were experts. And it was just this beautiful way to grow and realize, you know, dance is ancient, right? And I wasn't even thinking of it that way. I was thinking of it as something that I had to be trained to do, something that I had to be led to, but really it was the muse. I just had to be open to the muse. I love that distinction because I think that in all the arts, there's this myth that you have to go through this rigorous training in order to even do a a particular form of art or even be creative. Like there's so many myths around creativity. And so I'm curious, like what does creativity mean to you and what does it bring to your life? Creativity is just what we were born to do how we were born to move and not putting a lid on that. You know, I, the training definitely enriches it. It shows you what other people have created and found and, you know, absorbed from thousands of years sometimes. But it's also just innately in us, right? There's, there's no other person that tastes a lemon the same way that we do. Yeah. Right? And so why, why pretend Um, Or why not enjoy that reality, you know? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said about when you were kind of dancing for the first time, you weren't even, you just didn't even care what anyone was thinking of you. Like you were just in it. You were in like a flow sort of naturally. And um, to me, that is authentic expression. And I'm kind of curious how you might, define authentic expression or or see it very similar to what you were saying and also it just needs no explanation it just no validation there's no hesitation I remember that moment next to the drums in Mexico my brother was with me and my brother I still haven't ever seen him dance (laughs) you know and I was like it just didn't matter nothing mattered all that mattered was the drums in the moment yeah and yeah that, that I don't know if I had really been authentic in that way before in my life. It's probably when I was a child, of course, you see how children dance. There's like, it's incredible. Sometimes they're imitating, but most of the time they're just moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's just intuitive. And a little bit more about authentic expressions and things that I'm just learning now is how to use anger to become clear with what my inner wisdom is trying to share with me. You know, I like, especially through meditation, a lot of us think what we're like, toning down the anger, like, okay, hello, anger, my friend sit next to me, and then you can go. But it has so much to teach us. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So I'm taking this class. It's called the Connection Course. Joe, I can't remember his last name. It was from a podcast called The Art of Accomplishment. And he's meditated a whole bunch and he was meditating himself out of anger. But then he was like, wait a minute, but I can be like, I can learn so much from my anger. So that that whole part because we have like our good emotions and our bad emotions and you see like you had a guest on who was I don't know if he was a heavy metal musician I can't remember yeah he actually said I don't like people and I was like what I didn't think possible that a human could just not like people it was amazing yeah you know and I'm like I have that's that's not part of my reality but I was like that's totally authentic and that's his reality like he's not pretending 
you know? No. That's, I think it's a part of different genres that I might have distanced myself from like heavy metal and, you know, but it's like the darkness has so much to share with us too. Yeah. Ugly stuff. And then you see, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And also I think for women, we have been socialized to repress our anger. Like it's bad to be angry. And if you are angry, you're a bitch. So it's like there's, you know, exactly. there's a real cultural shame about anger, especially with women. Yeah. So how, for you, how has dance kind of served as a vehicle for an expression of your truth or an expression of your various emotions, anger also being one of them? It's so funny because a lot of times when I dance, I'm so fully myself and I'm also nobody. You know, I'm just nothing. You know, like when I sing to like, it's just, it's, it's, it's me. I'm just a vehicle, you know, it's beautiful because I think of that too. And then we go into, you know, Buddha's thought where you're like, I am one with everything. And it sounds cliche, but we actually are, but we still taste lemons differently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's just, so I, I, I feel like my favorite moments of dance are when I'm completely empty and just the world and the music are moving me. And that's a big part of what belly dance is too. It's like you want, and there are other dancers who bring in the stories of your life and you dance these stories. One time I actually did perform just on stage. I didn't know I was going to do it. I performed the, you know, the last few minutes of my father's life. I, wow. I was with a whole, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I was on a big stage and I was with a whole, you know, orchestra, like 12 piece orchestra. And I started moving the way my mother moved, taking off her ring and putting her hand on his chest. And I was doing those things. It was completely, it was belly dance, but I was going through these motions. I was down on my knees on the stage. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was performing the death of my father. And after the show, a woman I was dancing with, amazing dancer, Kira Starfire, she came up to me and she was like, that was one of my favorite performances I've ever seen of yours. And I said, I, it just, I don't know where it came from, you know? Yeah. You were so deeply connected in that moment to, it sounds like just the things that you were processing and experiencing and it came through your body. I knew the- what I needed to do right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are people that that dance that are very wedded to their choreography. And I think that's really cool, too, because it really shows a lineage of teachers, mm-hmm. for example, or like the cohesiveness of a group and the willingness to let another being move you. But my favorite moments dancing are not in choreography. They're just completely wedded to the music, which is also never the same if it's a live band. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I enjoy the most about um, going to performances like any kind of dance performance is versus you know watching a dance performance on online or whatever is just the live music component and the interplay of bodies and and music it's really amazing I'm also curious for the musicians in the bands that you dance with how have they ever uh talked to you about their experience of playing for dancers it's funny. I've been in this band for so many years. Like, I don't know if it's been 10 years or more um, playing with the, you know, different configurations of these musicians. And there were musicians in the band that did not appreciate playing for dancers. Hmm. 
and they're gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now now we're this group of people that believe that the dance is a big part of the show. Yeah. And a lot of bands, like a lot of bands, look at the majority of the bands in the world, they don't want to pay dancers. They don't right. think it's valuable, as valuable as the music. But ask an audience member what they're going to remember. You know what I mean? They often remember the dance because we translate. We translate the music for the audience. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so the band that I have now, what they tell me when they when I nailed it, you know, what they the band that I'm in now, and I tell them too because it's it's such a relationship. Definitely, that's a really that's the perfect word. Mm-hmm. And what do you think hinders people's creativity or ability to express themselves authentically? I mean, I know so many people that tell me I don't dance. I, I you know, and I'm just. And you're right. When you're a child, that that children, it's so natural for them to to dance and move their body. And, you know, the older we get, the more self-conscious we get or the more, you know, messages from society we internalize or whatever. But there are so many adults that I know that tell me I don't dance. What do you think hinders that? I think a lot of it is cultural. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you go to South America, for example, and like because their parties, I think in a lot of places like dance is an essential component yeah. of life in community, you know, and um, upstate New York, I'm a white upstate New York girl. And it's yeah, you go to a wedding and people just they they needed to do like the three line dances and do it, you know, kind of like they were worried about what other people thought about them, I think is the biggest thing. I also think that time and energy, so self-confidence, huge part of people just not moving in a way that feeds their soul. Yeah. And you can see that with people's posture. Oh my God, right? Just look around. You can see that we're like, we're curled up into a ball in a lot of places. And you'll see that in places too. And, you know, you know, in South Asia, there were people, I don't know what they were carrying on their back for all those years, but they're bent over sideways or crouched down and, you know. I once heard that they were women that never stand up and reach their arms up to the sky, you know, and they would do like, they would do a workshops with these women just to get them to actually stand up and reach their arms up to the sky. So I think a lot of it is cultural and I think uh, a lot of it is self-confidence. Yeah. And, and, and too, I'm sorry, you were asking more specifically about creativity. Mm-hmm. You weren't asking about dance, right? As much as, and with creativity, I think, in addition to culture and, you know, the, the desire to look good and do what is expected or do what is the right thing to do. There's also just time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Perception of time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How has dance shaped your relationship to your body or changed your relationship to your body? Oh, my God. I feel like that's infinite. Yeah. And kind of piggybacking off of that, I'm sort of wanting to explore the idea of healing and its relationship to creativity. And so sort of, you know, contextualizing that question within the context of healing. I want to answer this with a little story. So I was at a Tony Robbins event, you know, a big five-day event with thousands of people. Uh, Right before COVID hit, we were there and there was a man next to me who was in my group. So I would, I talked to him for several days and he was dancing. He was just having so much fun dancing. And he was in his forties, probably late forties. And he looked at me and he said, I just started dancing a couple months ago. And I was like, what? 
And he's the man I was dancing full on. He was like, no, I went to a Tony Robbins event for the first time a couple months ago. And that's where I started dancing. And I was like, he never gave himself permission to dance. Wow. He never thought that that was what he was supposed to do until he was, you know, halfway through his life. And it was just so beautiful to see him lit up. You know, I'd like, of course, this man was like, just that's it too. When you're letting the energy flow through you, right? Yeah. I mean, all these different, like, you know, getting your heart to breathe and getting your blood to flow. That's where you learn. You know, meditation is great too. We sit there. I, I, I've been meditating every day for like 560 days. It's been awesome ever since COVID oh, started. Like, cool. Congratulations. Thank you. I've got a little like counter thing that I click on my phone, like done, did it. They're not all great meditations by any means, of course. Right. But there's such a different, a different thing where you're sitting there and you're like, I'm intentionally relaxing. And then you're dancing and you're like, I am intentionally freaking out. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's what we do. I, I love what you said about just dance being this vehicle for energy to flow. And I think that a lot of healing is about getting stuck energy to flow again. Definitely. And two, I feel like, you know, whether you're dancing in a studio setting or in a partner setting, or like you're into tango and you're, you're looking into the eyes of your partner or at their chest or whatever, you're bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And when, especially if you're in a studio setting and you just keep looking at yourself in the mirror, eventually you're not going to worry about the little stuff. I feel like if you're just doing it so much, like you're just, you're going to be looking at the entire picture. You know, of course, the little things you want to fix, you know, your hand gesture, your hand movement, the shape of this, the, you know, the line of that. Of course, you're fixing that all the time or like just perfecting, I guess is what I should say. But you learn not to care. And I see that like my husband, for example, is an athlete. He's not a dancer. He hasn't had that time with the mirror. He hasn't gotten that feedback from watching videos of himself move. And the other day he watched a video of himself giving a presentation. And I was like, Joda, check out your posture. And he was like, oh my God, I need help. Finally, <laughs> like, oh my God, he needs it. Yes, you know. So it's just that we have all this feedback as dancers, as people who identify as dancers, as a person who is like actually in the spirit of movement in relationship to something that's not just a daily grind, you know, you have this, this messaging that comes back to you that you don't get if you don't dance. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think dancers are a very special breed of human. <laughs> In that way, I'm curious to yeah, circle back to that question about, you know, how has dance changed your relationship to your body or the way that you see your body? Just don't care as much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about the like the way the vehicle looks right. as much as what I can do with it. Yeah. And maybe that's also a life stage, right? I just turned 41, you know, and I'm just like. I could stress out about that role, that shape, that, you know, thing that's not quite right. But I'm like, I could also just like be grateful and joyful that I can move. Yeah. Yeah. Every moment spent dancing is a moment in the right direction. Yeah. And I, I think the way I love what you said about just seeing the body as a whole and I, I've found that dance has been really helpful for me in seeing my body as a whole too, because it's true. You, It's very easy to zoom in and pick apart your body as we are trained to do. 
especially in Western culture and with women's bodies being objectified all the time. And it's, it, it is hard to see yourself as a whole. There aren't a whole, I mean, I don't know what other tools besides dance and maybe, you know, maybe yoga too. And also I think there's an, there's a sense too, I think, at least for me, I'm curious if this is your experience as well, that the more I start seeing my body as a whole, the more I start feeling it as a whole too. And so the process of dancing and seeing myself dance, you know, I'm, it's, it's, it's external and then I'm seeing myself dance, but there's, I become very in tune with what's happening inside and it all feels like it's just, my body is moving itself. I'm not moving my body. Or something else could be moving us too. Yeah. Yeah. Like you had mentioned before. And another thing too, Brenna, have you ever danced in a troupe? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, a, I mean, I did ballet. So I, I danced in sort of mini companies, never like companies in the kind of big leagues, but companies affiliated with different schools of ballet, mostly for teenagers. With the troupe experiences that I've had too, it's like, you are just part of a bigger being absolutely on the stage, you know, backstage and, and on stage. You are part of a cohesive group that is you are a universal body almost at times, you know, yeah, breathing and moving together. Yeah. And that's, again, I think another really incredible way of becoming whole again or seeing yourself as a whole or feeling yourself as a whole and feeling yourself as something bigger than yourself. And what a relief because you don't yeah. like to be, it's really to be unimportant, I think is a very big relief. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Get kind of let go of things being so personal. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to jump into a little bit of discussion of your podcast. I'm curious so uh, Alicia has an amazing podcast on belly dance, and I'd love for you to talk about how, what inspired you to start this podcast and how it unfolded from there. Originally, it was a journey of self-discovery. I didn't realize what a community of dancers I was going to become more connected to. I just I wanted to really research things and present them. It was, so it was I, I really I have a hard time just researching things for myself. I get a lot more excited if I research and then share it with others. It's just who I am. So podcasting is like the perfect format for that, right? So I started back in 2018. And that's when podcasts were really emerging, at least in my awareness, uh, and uh, emerging as a a great resource. And um, it's service is my language of love. So that's another reason why I just want to package it and deliver it in the easiest way for you to hear it. I, I'm so funny about my podcast editing. I just like, I get so in there. But uh, yeah, I want it to be just this package with all these little gifts in it that people can take into their everyday life and just be dancing while they get dressed in their closet and be undulating as they wash their hair in the shower. <laughs> and you know, just trying a new food, like trying some furukake because this amazing dancer Naima says, I love furukake. You know, I have a food feature on my show too. So it also fit with that passion that I have for food 
And yeah, so one of the one of the big things too, I was like, oh, I want to learn more about the music. So I'm going to research the music and share that with dancers. Oh, I want to learn about the history of belly dance. Just kind of funny to study the history of belly dance because there's not a lot written down about women dancing before 1905. You know what I mean? Right. In general. Yeah. Listen, you know, especially in a lot of Islamic cultures when it wasn't meant to be out in public, you know, always, you know, as women, you know, the men leave and the women push aside the coffee table and dance for a few hours and freak out and throw their hair all around, have the curtains closed and then, you know, people come back and done. But yeah, so it's been really fun just digging into all those things. And I'll tell you what, like the the American contributions to what we think of as belly dance, the fusion genres that have been created in the U.S. are just incredible. Yeah. And so it's been fun. I mean, I have a very, my podcast has a very U.S.-based view. And um, yeah, so it's been really wonderful to feature dancers. That's another thing I love to do. I've always loved to put on shows and feature people. So podcasting has also been a great way to do that. Well, and one of the things I love about your podcast is the diversity of voices and identities that are represented. And also just this emphasis on sharing wisdom, like through dance, like through the process of dance, what, what is the personal healing and growth coming out of that process with all these different dancers? And yeah, I, how, like, how do you sort of, I mean, in many ways there, your, your podcast really does stand out in my mind as having one of the most diverse representations of voices, you know, different ethnicities, different sexuality, sexual identities, different gender identities. And, you know, to me, that that social justice is, you know, highlighting these underrepresented voices. And I'm wondering kind of how you see the relationship between art and activism or is, is social justice something that's an intention of yours with this podcast? Great question. So when George Floyd was killed and I realized how racist I was and still am very racist in so many aspects of my life, but I didn't even acknowledge it. And I didn't even see the the guests that I was choosing. I was choosing guests that I, you know, would be like so comfortable, you know, talking to or whatever. I wasn't, I wasn't even, I wasn't intentionally seeking out people that were different than I am. Yeah. And as a person that, again, service is my language of love, what a disservice I was doing to be featuring people and not really featuring this amazing diversity of dancers that we have available to us. I mean, I'm interviewing people, you know, online, like how could I not be seeking out these incredible performers? So I guess I just had to first realize, whoa, your thinking has been so limited and then just dive in and do things I was afraid of. Like I didn't know these of the these performers in this, this show called the Harlem Hafla that happens in New York City. And it's really focused on people of color being the main performers, being paid and just like they're, you know, there's all kinds of performers, but was really focused on having especially black performers. And so I found this video of the Harlem Hofla and I was like, oh my God, these performers are incredible. All these different, you know, different performers. And so I reached out to them. I was like, I don't know these people. I don't know anybody that knows them. I'm going to just interview them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if they're up for it. And they said, yes. And I had mm. been telling myself that people weren't going to say yes because they didn't know me. They didn't, I didn't know their friends, you know? 
So that was a big deal too, to just be like, wow, I've just, in so many ways, I've been limiting, limiting, limiting myself. And as a podcast host, I've been limiting my listeners, Mm -hmm. you know, to who they're being able to appreciate who's being featured. And then the dance community, the belly dance community realized that using the word gypsy for people is completely inappropriate. And I didn't know that. I had a website that was called Healthy Gypsy Soul. Like I never, but then I was like, wait, this doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work for Roma people. It doesn't work for Roman people. You know, it's call people whether they want to be called. Jesus Christ. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, and respect it. Don't question it. Just call people what they want to be called. There are certain dancers like Abigail Keys out in California. She's always on the path of like, questioning the way we're doing things and questioning whether or not we're being too whatever we are in our heads for my example too white you know out of Syracuse is another belly dancer that's always impressed me with just her level of awareness like she would say something and I would like you know recoil a little bit and be like ouch and then I'd sit there with it and like again you're saying it's not personal when you dance you it doesn't have to be personal you know you're bigger you're like oh this is bigger than me and my petty defensiveness right yeah And I'll tell you what, too, when I finally like I'm finding. Because I'm not as and I, you know, I interviewed a a amazing dancer named Kamra, who's a trans man. And I honestly didn't even know what trans man meant when I asked Kamra to be on my my podcast. I didn't even know what it meant, you know, and and I just like saw the dancer first, you know? Yeah. So that transcends all these identities. Yeah. Just honoring somebody for being an amazing artist. Yeah. Your self-awareness of your own responsibility in social justice and also of your own personal identity and social identity is really admirable. I mean, just even even being able to admit that you were using the word, you know, as, as a website uh, word and then stop doing it, you know, after, after realizing that this, you know, it's not appropriate. And I mean, I just, I, I don't, I think kind of like circling back to the whole way that dance kind of helps you transcend yourself. I mean, I think so many people just get really fixated on their identity as, you know, this and, and how they're sort of expressing that identity too how they're showing that identity to the world. And it can be very limiting. And we're just, yeah, limiting for what payoff? What's the payoff, right? And you look at it like, oh, it's, there's no payoff. (laughs) It's bullshit that we apply to ourselves. There's actually none. (laughs) Right. It's true. Absolutely. So I'm curious, what sort of challenges come up for you when you're dancing or when you're being creative, like in making this podcast? Because that's, podcasts are huge expressions of creativity. Right. And I think that one of my biggest challenges is that thought that I should be doing something else that's more important. You know, I have a very full life, you know, a real estate business with my husband and my kids. I got two kids, you know, a five-year-old and a Mm two-year-old. And sometimes I'm just in the program of getting shit done, Mm -hmm. not even thinking about enjoying it. You know, sometimes I sleep three hours and I get up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got you no know, all night long. I get up at 2 a.m. and now I can work on my whatever. And it's like, holy shit, you need some rest. Yeah. But yeah. And I have heard, too, um, the women who used to own Felicia's, one of them is a writer. There's a business in our town. It's amazing vegan cupcakes. 
And she was being interviewed and she was said, she said that her best writing came when she was the most run down. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. And then there's another dancer that I interviewed that is just so vibrant. Her name is Ebony. She's out of DC. And she's like, I'd made a commitment to myself to get rest, to be well rested. And it's just such a different level of energy. I guess a different place that their minds are dwelling to. But I mean, yes, I feel like, sorry, what diminishes my creative spirit often is just like either distraction or exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, the question of rest, because and I mean, of, of course, rest is ex- critical and so undervalued in a society that's just so hell bent on making everybody produce constantly. Um, But I also, as a writer, I also find that a lot of my best writing comes when I like can't sleep and I'm actually really, really tired. And I get up in the middle of the night and I just start writing, you know, because what else am I going to do to pass the time? And a lot of times it's the best writing in it. And I, I notice that for me, and I know a lot of writers, uh, I have written about this too, is just like, you're in this, you're in that kind of dreamy state or the state in between the unconscious and the conscious and the critical mind is just not as strong when you're tired typically now it varies by it it varies for sure um but yeah so it's i mean i can i can relate to that friend of yours that said that some of her best writing is when she's exhausted um but also some of my worst writing is when i'm exhausted so <laughs> Really depends. <laughs> um, what is your relationship to fear? Fear is so invaluable. And I, I'm just, I'm so grateful for it because fear makes me actually practice choreography before performing it. Fear makes me s- s- like s- practice singing too. I started, da- so I started singing in my band a couple of years ago and it was terrifying. You know, you're like, as soon as I start to sing, I know my throat's, throat is just going to close up. Everything, like I won't be able to breathe. And, but I did it anyway. And I sounded terrible. And I pronounced everything wrong because I sing in ancient Arabic, Armenian, uh, you know, Farsi. Like I sing in these different languages because of the different material that our band plays. These amazing songs from all over the world. And, you know, I was scared. And it was wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, it made my uh, my hands strong enough to hold up my drum. I play a frame drum, you know, which is a really powerful instrument, especially for women. I think you know to to hold a frame drum. There's a very a lot of similarities to a moon, and there's a lot of importance with that. But my hands would hurt so bad, my wrist would hurt so bad. But sometimes I'd be the only person that shows up to a gig, and I'd have to hold my drum up for the whole gig, and I'd have to play the rhythms right, and I'd have to figure it out. And I was terrified, and it was great. Yeah, I think a lot of much of what you said, I think a lot of growth happens on the edge of fear. I, I noticed that with myself too. Doing anything new is terrifying, you know, just that we're so habituated to wanting to look good, you know, right? wanting to get it right. And it's so humbling being afraid and getting it wrong you know, and moving through that process. I I totally agree with you. I I guess I should add fear is a great tool if you don't let it stop you. Yes. You let it shape you. Like you let it shape you in terms of you let it just like 
you just push through. Totally. I, I completely agree. I think that's really, really important because it's crippling if you let it stop you. It's, it can be very crippling. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot. What kinds of things do you do to kind of move through fear? Like if it I'm feels... maniac. Yeah. I, I think I, it's like I take an ax to it. No, yeah. This different warrior trainings and different trainings that we've done. It's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone has different relationships to fear and sort of different ways that they respond to it and communicate with it and kind of battling it or being assuming the warrior toward it you know is I mean I think there's a there's a nobility in that and like a real strength in that to use some of Tihar Records language too is there's also a wizard quality that you could be approaching fear with where you're using that flow of energy to assist you instead of battling it too or I'm I'm in warrior mode a lot more than I'm in wizard mode, unfortunately. And what's the name? What's the name of the person that Har Vackard, who wrote Secrets of the Millionaire Mind? Yeah, he, he has a, he has a a program called Warrior Training Camp, and he also has a wizard camp that comes after. Usually after you can do you can do them in either order, but yeah. So there's more of the wizard more of the energy you see kind of in like a samurai kind of perspective that's more of the wizard energy and then you look at like the bludgeoning kind of warrior that's more of the warrior <laughs> and both of them have their time and place absolutely and, and are effective so what inspires you and kind of serves your creative spirit i think like you brenna i find the natural world very inspiring and uh, it's just so messy and perfect all at the same time. You know, I, I love dancing outside to music played on instruments made of wood and skin and metal, you know, so that's that's part of my natural world. And I started dancing with these palm torches and these fire bowls during COVID shutdown. And the fire really inspires me. And that's, again, something I need to do outside. I'm not going to dance with fire inside unless it's a candle, but. So it gets me outside, you know, I, I'm, I'm paying attention to the moon cycles. I actually put the full moon on my calendar this year. It's the first year of my life where I took, sat down and I put the, I don't want all the other phases when I just want to know the full moon once in a month and take a moon bath mm -hmm. walking during the day or night, just being outside under the full moon and also dancing for the moon when I can. And I, you know, hopefully I'll be able to actually be with other fire performers and see what they do. And then I'll have this whole new set of tools and being outside and being creative with this fire and movement around the fire. I did, uh, I, I don't know if I ever showed you my burn this past summer, how heinous that was. I set myself on fire on accident. Oh my gosh, where? <laughs> where? Under the full moon, right next to my house. Where on your body? Uh, oh, my leg and my hand were both on fire. And the ground all around me was on fire as well. Um, I was using a candle because I haven't done fire arts with other people who are masters. I've just started doing it myself. And I took some fire safety kind of lessons and I had my fire blanket there and my jug of water. And I was using a candle to light my torch and I had refueled the bottle. I had a little bottle of fuel. I didn't want to use the big can. I brought it out and I don't know what happened, but somehow the fuel got tipped over in the candlelight and the candle caught the fuel and everything was on fire all around me. 
And I, you know, I, yeah, it was crazy. About fear. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I haven't danced as much with that, with that fire bowls, but when I do, it's still pure magic. And, uh, now I do it, you know, in, with, with stone walls and stone ground. Cause I was, I was near some stuff that really shouldn't be catching on fire. <laughs> well, and also a lot of the costuming too is very highly, fl- I mean, it's flowy, flowy fabric. Right. And when you see the fire performers, for example, on the beach in Thailand, when we were in Thailand together, they're wearing blue jeans and right. they could roll in the sand and they're in the ocean. So you want natural fabrics. Again, yeah. the natural fabrics are not going to melt to your skin and become like napalm. So you wear natural. I was at, I was at least wearing natural fabrics. Like, like my, you could see where my leather boot was. I was wearing those short boots, which I will never do again with fire. I will always wear tall boots because you can see on my ankle where the fire was the most hot right now. You can see it where it caught fire right on the top of my boot. My boot protected my foot, but I was wearing shorts, you know, so I was just doing so many things not right. And I was completely sober and I was like, you know, completely focused, but I didn't have enough light. Yeah. So. Were you in the middle of a performance when that happened? No, I was home alone. Okay. I was home alone that the full moon was out and I was like, I'm going to dance for the moon. I actually had filmed the first part of it and it was beautiful. And I, I hadn't, that was months ago and I just posted it. I was like, all right, now I can, I can come back to this video of before I accidentally set myself on fire. <laughs> but that was like a huge landmark in my life though. Honestly, like I will never be the same after that night. Well, and I, it's like you really were in a, ma- a magical battle. <laughs> I was in a magical battle, a baptism of flame. Yeah. Under the moonlight. Under the moonlight, looking at my own body on fire. Like, mm. it was crazy shit. Well, so what's something that you're working on besides fire dancing that you're really excited about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on floor work. That's something that I've in my dance. Oh, cool. I've always loved watching dancers get down on the floor. Yeah. I've always thought it was so beautiful and I never put the time in. So I do Pilates just about every morning and I lay down the mat and I stretch and I reorient my body and like, you know, bring it back into the line that I want it to be in. And I start with floor work. And that's how I actually bring dance in every day. It's just part of the ritual of the morning. Yeah. That's so important uh, to have those morning rituals. Do you have any sort of other other things that you do in the morning to kind of set the pace of the day? Yeah. So as soon as I step out of bed, I say, I love my life. I love my body and soul. I say it out loud. My foot touches the floor and I dance. Yeah, it's great because it's like I, I interviewed a musician in Carmine out of New York City. I love Carmine Gaida. And he said, I play music first because then I know I got the most important thing of the day accomplished so it's like what is the most important thing to you do it first yeah lose 20 minutes of sleep and do it first you know I certainly do that with writing and movement as well too for sure what's one of your creative aspirations for the future I want to (laughs) become I don't even know how to say this I want to become not a DJ, but a performer who uses electronic music fused with live musicians there and mm-hmm. dance to that. So it's, it's like Beats Antique. Yeah. If you're familiar with. Oh, yes. I love Beats Antique. Yes. And she's created a lot of those beats for the band. She's written a lot of that music. Wow. 
That's cool. And you can, yes. And so, so you can see, and she's just created, because I think the minds right now, there's such a tendency to not appreciate live music. Now, it's just like, give me the beats in a box, you know? Yeah. And I do love, I love the consistency of a computerized beat and, you know, a looped, a looped vocal track and all these things that are fused together. But I also want to hear a musician play on top of it. So that's one of the things I want to do. And the problem is I don't stay up late. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of those kinds of things happen late at night, but I think I'm going to figure it out anyway. And, and the, the, the goal of that too, is to also like move bodies, to be in a club space, to be in a space where I am helping people move and feel beautiful and move however they want. So I think that the music that I'm going to create will help with that. Mm. I love your, your, all of your creative projects are so grounded in service as, and, and as you said, that's really your language of love and it's very clear and it's very inspiring. And thank you so much, Alicia, for sharing all of your wisdom and practices and heartfelt stories today on the podcast. My pleasure. Brenna, thank you for creating a beautiful podcast focused on healing, something we don't, again, talk to about or value. We just talk about fixing that, the healing process. So thank you for bringing us through the healing process. Oh, my pleasure. So where can we find you if people want to find your your podcast or your website or social media? Sure. AliciaFree.com. Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A. dot com is where you'll find my podcast. And the podcast is called A Little Lighter. So if you look for a belly dance podcast, you'll see A Little Lighter pop up. And that's really where to find me. And do check out her podcast. It's it's quite inspiring. And it also has really good music <laughs> peppered throughout. <laughs> our band is played. A lot of that is recordings from our band playing. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love it. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, thank you. Thank you, Brenna. Thanks for tuning in to Creative Recovery. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or my coaching and workshop offerings, please visit BrennaCoaching.com or DM me on Instagram at Brenna.ef. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review. It helps grow this community and serve more people. Thanks for joining me on this creative journey of discovery and transformation.